This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on the Twitters. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be a genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com. Uh, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com. And uh, what's the rest of that? Oh, subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also check out my side project podcast, Anthology, at anthologypod.com. So... As I said, uh, we're we're a weekly movie and TV podcast, and today we're covering a movie title uh, straight out of Compton. We're coming straight out of Speedway. Oh my god! Technically, we're not in Speedway because I moved out of Speedway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're talking about straight out of Compton today. Before we do, I do want to mention that we have uh, we are a handful of weeks. Oh my god, a handful of weeks uh, away from hosting an event in Irvington in Indianapolis. If you're in the area, check it out. Shocktober and Irvington.com. We're screening short horror films from local filmmakers and we are uh, doing Q and A's giveaways, all that stuff at the Irving theater. Check that out at Shocktober and Irvington.com. So tiny, we watched straight out of Compton last Friday, about eight, eight, what? Seven days ago, eight days ago. Uh, Five days ago. Oh, I can't count. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. So uh, as we are want to do off. Uh, also, we won't be spoiling the movie in, unless. Uh, uh, God, this is a disaster. Um, we might yeah. do a spoiler section and throw it at the end. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm going to redo that. Okay. Um, so yeah. So today we're talking about Straight Outta Compton, which just was recently released. Um, in theaters, we talked about it last week how it uh, broke the R-rated late, R-rated mid-August release record held by American Pie Two, the most arbitrary movie record that exists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we watched it. We watched the movie uh, less than a week ago, and we're going to talk about it. And as usual, we aren't going to spoil it in our main review. But if we do go into a spoiler section, I will cut it and put it at the end of the episode so uh, anyone who hasn't seen it will be free to listen to it. Um, so what we usually do here is we usually do a rundown of our um, our thoughts overall, and then we kind of get into a more nuanced discussion of it. So, Tiny, what did you think of Straight Outta Compton overall? I freaking loved it. Uh, currently, it is my movie of the year. Oh, nice. Um, but, you know, we still got plenty to go, but... Right. Uh, God, I just really loved it so much. I, I just I love the the message of it and and the the writing and I loved the acting. I, I loved uh all of the music that was brought back to life and, and made new again for a whole new generation that maybe wasn't exposed to this. Um I lo- I just loved it for so many reasons and I I'm anxious to get into them. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I uh, I I'll echo those sentiments. I I enjoyed it a lot. I I actually really really liked it. Um I don't know where it'll stand in my movies of the year list or anything, but it's definitely a contender. It's uh it's a definitely a contender for movie of the year so far. Um like you said, I really enjoyed the 
the acting and the way that it emphasized the the bond of of these of these guys and uh and the kind of turmoil that they went through as as the movie progressed and then also i really appreciated the subtext of of the, the culture um the culture in compton um it was depicted in a tasteful way or or it was depicted in such a way that it didn't overshadow the biopicness of it um it was a really well managed kind of uh joining of of biopic and and information dump of of what uh what these people did and how they affected their own culture and uh and how they spotlighted the what what was going on and everything and then also juggling that with the social commentary of what was happening on the streets of Compton at that time it was just really well well executed Mm-hmm. Um, and the final product, and yeah, the acting was just phenomenal. Um, yeah. and we'll we'll get into that here in a bit, but just yeah, my my broad my broad thoughts are just that it was a really a really strong movie, um, and one that I'll definitely be recommending. Nice. Yeah. Spoiler for our review, I guess. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, what what exactly did you like about it? What was what was something that stood out about it? Um. I mean the the first thing is is just the fact that I think when this when this music came out um it it's, it was just so misunderstood and I think it's been misunderstood for amongst a certain population ever ever since gangster rap emerged on the scene um I think most would would credit NWA with making it a national and an international phenomenon you know um mm-hmm. It existed before this, but they made it famous. Um, people just, you know, there's there's just been this misconception about, specifically in WA, that they're just uh, they glorify violence and they they glorify a uh, a gangster lifestyle and and they hate cops and want to kill cops. And I think through this movie, they they specified. They specified their ideals and, and and made them more focused and and really made it clear that they're not glorifying their lifestyle. They're expressing they're expressing how it was to grow up in that culture and and what that lifestyle is like. And they don't want to kill cops and they don't uh, they don't I don't necessarily think they don't hate cops, but they hated the the LAPD of the eighties and nineties mm-hmm. who were emphatically racist and undeniably a terrible organization. I mean, right. that, it's been proven. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think the movie did a good job of breaking that down. You know, it just, it, it had an overall theme and a message of this is art and through their art, they're expressing what they, what they feel and, and, and how they grew up and, and how they don't wish it on others and why it's, it can be a bad thing. And I mean, they have a, they have a song on this album, their first album, straight out of Compton, that's called "Express Yourself." And I was trying to think of a pun to interrupt you, like they was really? expressing themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they have a song called "Express Them Express Yourself," and that's that's I think that's a that's a very core message to what NWA is all about. And I, I think I think this movie just clarifies so much of that, and it and it's going to popularize that notion. And 
I felt it in every minute of this movie and just, man, it just, it hit home with me and I loved it. Yeah, I, I agree. And it was, and I mean, it it's tough to, it's tough with this type of episode and this type of review because it's just going to turn into kind of a love fest, but we'll, yeah. we'll work through it. But, um, I, I'm like right now I'm, I'm 29 and I, I was born in 86. I'm, I'm lived in indiana and ohio and florida but i'm i mean i wasn't uh privy to this culture as as it was happening i wasn't like you know i didn't like my i didn't know what life was like for for uh the the guys who started gangster rap or anything like that Mm -hmm. so my and and i don't know how personal this will get but like i grew up in a in a strong like police oriented household and so like just from just from like the outset um like when i when i was like when i was a teenager i kind of got in i like i I enjoyed rap music and like i would get like i think i bought straight out of compton the album and like i just remembered like getting this kind of like pushback from from like uh, from like my parents and stuff about like oh they have a song called uh, the police, <laughs> right? And it's just like from just like knee jerk reaction. Like this is the, like it was villainizing them, and it's it's so interesting to see this movie take um take such a stance against like what they or take it stick up for what they were what they were communicating on that album, and it kind of um makes some interesting statements about about what their message was, and and it feels like that. I don't know how common my my upbringing was to to the uh, the rise of of gangster rap with other suburban kids who didn't like have no context to what they were they were talking about. So yeah, I I enjoyed how they how they demonstrated how the movie demonstrated what they were what they were saying and everything. But also it it told a really like grounded story about about their each of their character arcs and and their motivations and everything like they're very central to the story is about um easy E's relationship with with the manager guy played by um um paul giamatti mm-hmm. and it's and it's funny it's funny the the uh the real life person that the real life person that he's that he's playing vehemently uh disagrees with his uh, uh portrayal in the movie yeah i'm sure he does and i was a little thrown by that too i was thinking he was going to be i was thinking the character of jack heller was going to be sort of a a fish out of water kind of character and it was going to like provide a lot of comedy for the movie like oh there's this mm-hmm. white guy throwing him with these gangsters um you know i thought it was going to be like a funny thing and he was just going to be a light-hearted fun character but he actually ended up being a a pretty serious antagonist yeah a yeah. very pivotal role in it yeah and i and i i didn't mind that at all really um me either yeah I like the way that his his role really bred the the uh, the conflict within the group within the members of the NWA. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I I found unique to my experience watching the movie is that it portrayed these the like kind of behind the scenes um the behind the scenes of of this group's rise to fame and, and the way they went separate ways like seeing how some characters um leave and and start their own start their own uh solo uh solo careers 
Uh, by the way, check out Anthology Pod podcast at anthologypod.com. <laughs> but how they kind of stray away from from the group and how like they had the uh, the genesis of their of their conflict and how that how that gets into it permeates into the music. And seeing that, like I like I remember following like careers of of rappers like uh, Eminem, and I would see like Eminem would have a uh, public uh, conflict with another rapper, and they would they would put out diss tracks, and and they would they would you know just diss each other and everything. And like I remember seeing that, and in to see the what happens behind the scenes of that, and how that how that is uh, born on screen. Uh, it was really kind of satisfying in a strange way to me. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I like the fact that you use the word context because I think that's, that's so important when you're talking about this group and, and this story because so many extreme opinions. I mean, I mean the most, the most controversial song, controversial song of NWA is obviously F the police. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's, it's not a, no contest. Um, and that's the song they're most famous for. And, that's highly controversial, and I was similar to you. And I grew up, I was like, "Well, I kind of dismissed them because it's like I, I don't feel that way about the cops." I've right. never, to this day, I've never had a unpleasant interaction with a cop. Um, right. And so, my immediate opinion is, well, f them for saying f the police. You know, mm. I don't. They're they're nuts. But you have to realize that most most extreme opinions like that are born out of ignorance. You know, racism is an ignorant, it's, it's born of ignorance, but Mm -hmm. these guys' opinions that they hate cops or that they say F the police, you know, that's, that's from their own personal experiences. Mm -hmm. These guys didn't have positive interactions with cops and And it's, 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 so it's like they're, they're, argument in that sense is grounded in their own experience. It's, it's grounded in the, the context of their lives. And so while I don't agree with it, I can't knock them for having that opinion because that's all they know. You know, that's, that's all they knew. And, and I mean, in, in the past years or so, Dr. Dre has come out and said, you know, we need cops and right. you know they do some good things. He said that, but I, I can understand as a young man in that culture, you would have that opinion and you would need to express it. Yeah, um, so. you would need to express yourself. So, <laughs> express yourself. Oh God. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, but I think that might be a little oversimplifying a little bit, and I don't want to get into the the meanings behind behind the music or anything. Yeah. we are a movie and TV podcast, but um, it's they're sa- they're stating more that they're like you know they're saying f the establishment and kind of the right. the institution that that is breeding so much um conflict and and just uh visceral um or not visceral but um breeding such a volatile situation mm-hmm. and uh and I think that that was demonstrated incredibly well through the movie and right what i really what i really just the moment that I kind of realized like this this is this is a really strong movie yeah was uh the first the opening like ten fifteen minutes uh there was there was a very delicate um amount of care put into just bringing the audience into this atmosphere and this world that they um were were creating for for the audience for this movie like uh easy like it opens with easy in a in a in a drug house doing um some illegal deeds mm-hmm. and uh in in a 
volatile situation that reaches a more um, dangerous apex, I guess. And uh, I thought that that was just a really great entry point to the movie, and it and it kind of c- continued building the world of that these characters reside in in a way that made it very uh, organic for them to to create the music that would be the voice of that world that they were building. Like um, there's such a great scene where um, (laughs) uh, Ice Cube uh, played by uh, uh, Ice Cube's son. O'Shea Jackson. Yeah. Just phenomenal performance. Oh, he was so good. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get into that, but uh, there's such a great scene. Like his introduction, introductory scene is he's on a bus and his classmates are throwing up gang signs at these, uh, I think it was, was it a blood? Uh, yeah. 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 I think yeah. So. Um, at the, at these, at these gang members who are driving beside the, beside the bus. And so, uh, <laughs> I, I, this wouldn't really be spoilers, but, yeah. um, it would or wouldn't. I think we're good. Okay. So so the so the uh, the gang member gets onto the bus and basically tells the threatens the kid and explains to him not to throw up those those gang signs because it it's it's not a game or anything. And that like that scene was so just so gripping and so te- uh, filled with so much tension. And then later on, when Ice Cube goes to um I think it was to where where Dre was staying and they're talking about it. Uh, like he just says it like he he just says it almost nonchalantly. He's like, man, this this uh this blood came on the bus and gave a gave a uh, gave a motivational speech. Yeah, <laughs> and just the levity that that brought it, it just communicated so much about it, it, it this world being that they are inhabiting being just a run like everyday normal thing. Yeah, I mean that would be highly traumatic for most people, but for him it was like, yeah, some guy just pulled a gun, you know. On the school bus, gave an inspirational speech. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. It, that was really funny. Yeah, uh, and just like little bits of, of of that, it's. I mean, I mean, it reached a point where, in that first act, where you know you just got so comfortable in in the discomfort of this world, and you can see why you know you would want, uh, you would want these characters to rise to the fame that they were about to about to get. I just thought that that was really well illustrated in the first act, but um, mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the movie, though, there was there were some things that kind of kind of bothered me, and and it, when I say it, it'll probably be less less bothersome to me. But this is more just for uh, 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 something to breed debate for the episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was some there were some times throughout the throughout the uh, throughout the movie where I felt like the the way that they built up or played up the the bond that the that the characters shared like there was there's a particularly emotionally gripping scene where um they're on tour and they have to stop because uh one of them gets gets news from home Mm -hmm. and uh so there's the scene where they're all kind of huddled together and they're you know they're kind of letting letting the information that they just learned um wash over them and everything kind of go through go through the process of processing it but then I mean that it was it, it could have been a, a a particularly strong moment and it and it was pretty strong in its own right but it felt a little too much like now these guys are like brothers and now these guys are this is how this is us demonstrating how strong this how strong the bond is between these these characters and I I felt like that was a little um 
a little weak given how great the building of the subtext of, of the environment that they lived in was early in, early in the movie. Had, did you, did you get that from that scene or did you have any, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I thought, I thought it, it, it had a little bit of flaw to it. I think it was a little cliched as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, it's, I can't fault it too much because what do you really say in that situation? You know, uh, it's, you kind of have to comfort the person who's going through the trauma and, and you'll say just about anything to make, make it right and make them feel better. Um, but it, yeah, it, it was cliched and it, it's sort of, um, I mean, you can't trivialize that because right. I, I know the, the character that that happened to in the movie that actually happened in real life. Right. It, it really affected how he treated his career and how he, it affected him deeply, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I can't really, I can't trivialize that too much, but, it, it it was it, it was just a little cliched and a little yeah and, a little less than satisfying I guess yeah and I mean who knows how I'll feel about it when I when I see it again but I mean I just kind of came away from it feeling like that one scene in particular kind of felt a little a little disjointed from the rest of the movie because I feel like and it, they don't need to trivialize trivialize it or anything like that but I felt mm-hmm. like they I can't remember the exact dialogue but I I just remember thinking that the dialogue kind of came came across as a little a little too on the nose like they could have they could have said a lot more if uh if they kind of let left some of that to subtext yeah and, that's true yeah yeah and and the the way that it came across kind of felt and this this might be this might be marginalizing it or, or being a disservice to that to that to the power of that scene uh in in the con uh the constructs of the story that they were telling but it came across as like almost almost like a um like kind of, kind of, like it reminded me a little bit of like a like a kind of remember the Titans like Disney scene. Yeah, where they that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, where they kind of just it's kind of like more less about less about the the trauma that is that this character is going through and more about communicating to the audience what um, what the scene signifies. And yeah, I mean that's just I mean that's just basic. Uh, Failure to tell a story. <laughs> that's that's a good way. To, I like the way you put that. Yeah. Yeah. It, so. uh, it it was a the scene could have been crafted much differently. Right. Right. You know, put it and, that way. Yeah. And I mean that it was a minor blemish, and it, and it fortunately that didn't come through in, a, in any other scene that I can really remember. Mm-hmm. Um, there to, to add on to that or to build on that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the scenes or one of the aspects of the story that I kind of. I wasn't too bothered by it, and I think it served a purpose, but I think it was just a little ham-fisted was the way that they showed uh, the relationship with Dr. Dre and how he kind of picked up some of these women, um, his relationship with some of the women, which yeah. has been in the news lately. Um, uh-huh. His his ex his former girlfriends have come out and um, talked about how their relationships were not really portrayed in the movie. Um, but that's not really what I'm talking about. It's just the fact that, he probably in late in the second act, he uh, or maybe midway through the movie gets involved with this woman and they're dating. And it kind of shows how um, it, it seemed kind of out of place for me. Like, I don't, I don't think it was influencing the character very much um, until it shows them like concluding a date. And they're kind of it's the classical scene where they're kind of on the doorstep and he's saying goodnight. And it's like, you know, is he going to get invited in or isn't he? It's kind of that whole thing. But it, it it has an interesting twist because she 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 reveals 
she needs some time and it's because uh, I don't think this is really a spoiler. She says she needs time because, you know, there's he he's in the news. He's in the news and he's involved with questionable people who do questionable things. And she has a child and she doesn't really want to bring her child into that situation. And so it kind of it kind of influenced that character to reassess where he was. So it served a purpose, but I just thought it was just kind of, I, I really wasn't crazy about the way it was presented. It was just kind of thrown in the middle of some, some other threads that they were hitting really hard. And some of the other storylines were, were really hitting their peak at that moment. And they just kind of threw it in the middle of them. And it, I didn't care for the way it was added in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, that's that's one of maybe two things or three at most that I wasn't too crazy about. But there was nothing that stuck out that I was like, that wasn't good or that mm-hmm. sucked. Or I mean, this is the whole movie was just an A. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, I, a nine out of ten. I mean. right. And then uh, and yeah, I agree. And I, I definitely see what you're saying about the, the Dr. Dre uh, subplot. Yeah, but. I, I'm gonna kind of leapfrog off that and and kind of go into one of my main my main issues with the movie. Really, is that the movie just and I think that there's been articles uh, where where they said that they they did this because it didn't serve the narrative, but the movie completely and uh, willfully ignored the the D Barnes incident with mm-hmm. Dr. Dre. Yeah. So for for our listeners, there was a very um, a very publicized uh, incident, uh, an assault, really, um, in 1991, uh, where Dr. Dre encountered uh, D. Barnes, who was a rapper, I think. Um, and from Wikipedia, uh, this is according to the Rolling Stone, uh, Dr. Dre had, quote, picked her up by her hair and began slamming her head in the right side of her body repeatedly against a brick wall near the stairwell as his bodyguard held off the crowd with a gun after Dre threat, uh, after great, uh, wow. After Dre tried to throw her down the stairs and failed, he began kicking her in the ribs and hands. Uh, she escaped and ran into the woman's restroom. Dre followed her and grabbed her from behind by the hair again and proceeded to punch her in the back of the head. Uh, this was after, uh, 19 after she gave a an interview uh that this uh with ice cube where uh where ice cube had discussed leaving nwa i i guess um so yeah uh so there was a there was a a bit of a a bit of violence there yeah and uh and like this is according to wikipedia so i, I check the sources and everything but uh afterwards and like mc ren from nwa Later said, quote, bitch deserved it. And Easy said, quote, yeah, bitch had it coming. So, and I mean, uh, and I've heard that Dr. Dre has since apologized. <laughs> yeah. And everything. But it just, I feel like in a movie about, about NWA that follows, from what I can tell, that follows NWA story just really closely, um, while also being produced by Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, yeah, to have it just willfully ignore that very public and very major uh, piece of uh, history is feels a little disingenuous and a little too. I didn't. I didn't like it. I would have rather they 
did something with it. I don't know what they could have done with it since, you know, Dr. Dre is, is a part of it. And it's, mm-hmm. but I felt like that, that kind of created a, uh, like a, a big thing about the movie is how they, how their, how their music was a reflection of their, their environment and, and how it was misconstrued as a, a violent, um, anthem an anthem anthems for violence basically and how how it kind of uh was misrepresented and everything and i feel like there's a bit of misrepresentation here if they're going to um exclude this um this this alarmingly uh not positive experience right um in 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 an effort to um showcase the story i guess I, I i don't know i felt like the the exclusion of that seemed a little suspicious and i can understand like uh dire- the director f gary gray when he said i guess he said that it didn't serve the narrative and i guess like i can see that because that i mean the story isn't um about how they how they treat women or anything like that the story is about their rise and and how their music shaped or their lives shaped their music and and all that and how they interacted with each other but I don't know. It just it just didn't feel right. I agree. It's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, it it needed to be addressed in some way. I mean, I I think it it could it was a good. I think it could have been a very good way to show growth in the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was unfortunately not addressed. Um, right. Yeah, and you know, it's I I think I think it's really just it's an example of um I don't know if I I wouldn't call it nepotism, but you know, like you said, Dr. Dre produced the movie. Right, uh, yeah. Ice Cube produced the movie. So, I mean, they they had license to cherry pick what they wanted right. to put in the movie. And I I would venture to say that that's what happened because... Yeah, I, I mean, I would almost guarantee it, really. Yeah, yeah. So, I think, I think it could have been a good tool for Dr. Dre to actually try to find some form of atonement. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have had his character show genuine remorse for doing that act. Right. Um, cause he was, I mean, he was convicted of it and I think he, I think went so. to jail a little bit and I think he had like house arrest and stuff. I don't, I don't know what all exactly happened, but it was a pretty substantial event in his life. Yeah. And I mean, as I'm reading more of the, more of the Wikipedia article about it, I'm, I'm a little more unsettled by it. Like, um, according to Wikipedia, again, you know, citation needed um dr dre later like explained the incident uh, by saying quote people talk all this shit, but you know somebody fuck with me i'm gonna fuck with them i just did it you know ain't nothing you can do now by talking about it besides it ain't no big thing i just threw her through a door <laughs> um wow that's yeah. that's not very remorseful right and and i mean that was that was i don't know when that quote was i think that was that was you know soon after it but um d barnes sued in february of 91 and told a reporter that quote they've grown up with the mentality that it's okay to hit women especially black women now there's a lot of kids listening and thinking it's okay to hit women who get out of line and i think that that quote in particular is why it bothers me so much because it is kind of a an omission an omission that could have been in a movie that it that sets sets itself so high at so high on on depicting the true motivations of these characters to omit that, uh, presumably, I don't know if this is, if it was because they, um, they didn't want to bring 
bring it up for sake of Dr. Dre's character. Um, but to omit that is a, is kind of a gross exclusion in a, in a, in a bad way to, uh, to avoid, um, depicting a, um, or telling even a morality tale or, or something or, or bringing to light an issue that I'm sure is probably, you know, I mean, domestic violence and everything like that. Not, not that that was really domestic violence, but, um, mm-hmm. violence against women is, is kind of, you know, the rap culture isn't too kind on no. <laughs> women even today from, you know, from what I can tell, but, um, right. yeah, to kind of omit that and not, not address it is kind of, uh, kind of, kind of weak. Dis- disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So anyway, we can move on. It's just a shame that um, when doing – when tackling that character subplot, they forgot about Dre. So um, – <laughs> Oh, my God. So sorry. Um, yeah. So uh, – what One of the strong suits that I wanted to bring up, mm-hmm. at least in my eyes, was just, just the structure of the story. Because when I – I mean, when I was looking to buy tickets and stuff, I saw it as a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Right. I was like – Really? They made this a two and a half hour movie. Jeez. But and and you told me about it. And what happened after that? You told me the runtime of the movie, and did I said something about that? Didn't I? Uh, you did. Yeah, you did. And do you not remember? Okay, I just remember what it Good. is. I was like, wow, straight out of Compton is two and a half hours long, and then you went more more like a more like a detour out of Compton, right? Cause right? Because it's, it's so long. Yeah. But it didn't feel yeah, that way. It was yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I really didn't. Yeah. Uh, despite your dumb joke, uh, <laughs> Gene, brilliant joke. But go ahead. So, what was the strong suit, Tiny? Just, just the fact that it did not feel like two and a half hours at all to me. Uh, it felt like an hour and a half. I mean, I just it, it was paced so well, and I, I feel like there were not, there was not needless dialogue and 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 superfluous scenes or or anything like that. Every, everything everything served the story or served the characters. And I mean, that's, that's like kind of hard. Not only is it a really good sign that a movie is a quality movie, but it's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, usually you got some, at least some kind of like nonsense somewhere throughout the movie, but I mean, it just, to me, you know, pending a rewatch, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, upon first initially watching it, it, it seems like everything is just a significant moment in the movie and it, it, it serves the story. So I, I mean that's that was really impressive to me, especially in a you know like a biopic like this with multiple characters and all that. It's it can be hard to balance it all. It was it was really well done. The the writers did a good job. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of one of the one of the biggest strengths I have is that it, uh, for this movie is that it not only was paced spectacularly well, but it did it by um, telling the stories of all of like several several characters in a in a very. Uh, organic way i mean we talked about the omission of of some of uh dr dre's less than less than uh uh stellar activities but (laughs) he the arcs of all the characters within within the confines of the movie without um looking into the true stories or anything it you know it it followed really strong trajectories and and very uh flowed very well and and uh, at times a lot of them uh, were juggled a lot and it was very it was very pleasant I, I guess and at the core of it was the the relationship between easy and uh is it jerry jerry yeah jerry, jerry. heller yeah between easy and jerry heller and i thought that that 
that relationship kind of brought together this tied together the entire storyline of the entire movie, the the entire plot. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's commendable in that respect because while in doing that, it also managed to throw in just so many side, just side characters and side um, development. Like when Dr. Dre goes to death row records and you have a bunch of stuff with like Suge Knight and, and other characters from, from that, uh, era of his career it's just it was astonishing to see all this because like i mean a lot of these kinds of a lot of these little like bits and pieces here and there they could have made like their own movies of it and oh yeah one of the things that i really enjoyed about the movie was how characters that whose music i'm familiar with um not so much anymore but like from like my high school days um characters i'm 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 familiar with their music and everything and their careers and their and their stories and everything like especially with certain characters um and it's like i i want to see how they got started how what their rise to fame was like what their what their struggle was and everything what their inspiration for their music was and like i left the movie wanting more movies of this yeah uh depicting uh telling the stories of this of this era of of music and and it's it's something that is really impressive when telling a story about um, creative people and and about uh, inspiration for for creativity like that and like a biopic a music a music biopic feels like to me just by definition pretty long in the tooth yeah and this was just so so cleanly um, told despite within the constructs of its own structure and not without uh looking into mm-hmm. uh true stories or anything so i just really appreciated that agreed it's it's deserving of high praise yeah um and i think that kind of that kind of leads well into the a discussion about the acting in this movie mm-hmm. um i mean just just to focus on the three the three primary characters uh who are the three most famous members of uh, NWA, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, and Easy e um, mm-hmm. played by O'Shea Jackson Jr., Corey Hawkins, and Jason Mitchell, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, those those were, I think, the three strongest performances in the movie. Yeah. Uh, of course, a case could be made for Paul Giamatti as Cherry Heller, uh, who I loved in this movie. He was mm-hmm. fantastic, too. But um, I'm just most impressed by those three actors. Um, I, I've never seen any of them in anything else. Um, I believe this is O'Shea Jackson Jr.'s first role maybe probably i think i think it's his first role which that's shocking because (laughs) he was fantastic um and i think we can just kind of start with him because obviously he has a huge stake in this Mm. movie because you know he's portraying his own father um and it's not a big stretch to have him portray his own father right but still you know i think i think that's it was just kind of (sighs) It could have been easy for him to kind of show up and just be like, "Well, I look exactly like my dad, so that's good enough." You know, he I I really felt, you know, the Ice Cube from the late '80s and '90s coming through in this character. I I mean, I just and it it wasn't about it, it wasn't about uh what he looked like. You know, it, I I was sitting I wasn't sitting there thinking. Man, he looks so much like his dad. Right. Which I thought that, like, initially I was like, oh, wow, he looks a lot like his dad. Yeah. But from there, I just, I, I, I did not think of him as O'Shea Jackson Jr. I right. thought of him as Ice Cube. He really yeah. just dove into that role. I, I have no idea what, how he is outside of 
this movie. <laughs> I don't I don't know if he's in real life if he's actually quite a lot like his father or not, but he he really embodied that attitude and and, and there there's a one of my favorite scenes in the movies in the movie is when uh the character of Ice Cube is uh is doing an interview at his home mm-hmm. with someone from the media yes. and yeah. uh he he kind of goes off on a tirade and and I I was like that is Ice Cube right there. He just mm-hmm. nailed that perfectly. It just I just I just loved his performance in this movie, and I loved what his character was about. How oh yeah, his his embodiment of that artist, and and Ice Cube as an artist, which I think was also well presented in this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I just loved his performance. Oh yeah, and like according according to the trivia trivia trivia, the trivia on IMDb, <laughs> um, uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. he he wasn't comfortable playing his father when they when he was first cast. Uh, but after lots of training and help from his coaches, he says he is the only one that should portray his father in the movie, not anyone else. He actually prepared for two years for this for this role. Wow. Um, and partially because Ice Cube didn't want the appearance of nepotism in casting. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, it shows through because, I mean, I don't know. Uh, like, I don't know if this is just. I don't know if I, I don't know what kind of career he'll have after this, but I I hope that he that he takes whatever roles he he gets and and does them as well as he did this um me too because i i don't know any other like way like i i have no other context for his acting abilities but Mm -hmm. he just he nailed it in this he he was absolutely phenomenal yeah um uh and and to me the the other shining performance out of those three characters was uh jason mitchell mm -hmm. um which i did throughout the movie have the same have the the token reaction? I was like, he looks exactly like Easy. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of eerie. Yeah, how and much I, he looks like him. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. And I think a lot of that's due to like the 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 sunglasses and the and the hat. But oh yeah, but it was still like just uh, like his the way that he looked was just just so on point. Yeah, um, I would say that he's the best performance in the movie for me. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I mean he had he has the stronger emotional emotional. Uh, uh, story and he's more central to the plot than uh it really anyone else but mm-hmm. i mean i just oh my god that performance was fanta- fantastic right i mean the the way that jason mitchell just embodied the conflict between easy and 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 jerry heller mm-hmm. at, at certain moments uh especially in the third act and and the way he conflicted with his other the other members of his group um which is something that actually happened, but it just it felt it felt so organic through his through his performance and and the other actors too. I'm not trying to take any way, anything away from them, mm-hmm. um, but he he just embodied the character so well. Um, Easy E was the kind of the de facto leader of of this group. He right. he was the the focal point of NWA, um, and and I, I I not once throughout the movie did I doubt that. During right. during the performance of of Jason Mitchell, he uh, he hit it out of the park. He did, and seeing like his his growth throughout the movie, and like there was like the opening scene establishes him as you know kind of a kind of a I don't know how to characterize that opening scene, but kind of as a as kind of like not sh- not shy about you know being in a. a volatile situation or anything like yeah. that like he like he has a uh, not necessarily level head but uh <laughs> he's got like he's got some brass balls and seeing that scene kind of reflected later in the movie in, in a in a particularly 
particularly dangerous scene involving Suge Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, like that scene is mimicked closely with with different results, and uh, like by that point, you you're so on board with this character and you feel for him and everything. And then from there, it goes to a, a scene where I won't give away what it is, but do you remember like when he's talking to uh, Jerry and he and he says like he 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 suggests a uh, a course of action to rid their troubles. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that scene was played so well for me. Um, cause, cause the implication of, of gangster rap and, and the music that they're putting out is that they're, you know, that they're uh, not really the implication of it, but the, the, the reaction to it is that they are, they are perpetuating violence and, and they're, they're, you know, they're hardcore and, and they'll, you know, um, they're gangsters. They're gangsters. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, it, exactly. Mm-hmm. And to see to see him uh, reach a point of such a low point to where he is angry and he he puts forth this idea and it, like it's not like a it's not like a it's not like a, a a posturing maneuver at all. It's a it's a this is the only way to get out of this situation, and it's it, it comes from such a place of of. Um, listlessness i guess or or of uh mm-hmm. being cornered and it's it was just really well done and it could have been it could have been played for so much melodrama and so much um uh drama really but mm-hmm. it was it came from a really uh character place and i really yeah. i really liked it i really i really dug that absolutely um, um and then yeah the other stand i think was Corey hawkins playing dr dre um yeah. ironically i think he's the one who looked the least like the person he was portraying yeah, yeah. he really doesn't look anything like dr dre um uh but he he did a terrific job uh during this throughout the whole movie um he he could have i think his character kind of could have fallen through the cracks i guess in a different biopic that wasn't produced by dr dre right <laughs> um because i mean I, I think kind of the tent poles of the group are sort of our our uh ice cube and easy e because they, mm. had, they they conflicted with one another and that's the original rift in the group and and you know easy is kind of the leader but cube's really the the more artistic of the two and kind of the, the tortured artist who really has something to say mm-hmm. um and and Dre was, you know, he was even, he was in the background from the get-go. He was more of a producer, and I think that's a role he's really embraced more in mm-hmm. his career, especially over the last decade. He, yeah. he put out his first album in a decade a few weeks ago. Right, um, which he was, which was recorded in secret. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so he's, I, I'm not trying to take anything away from Dr. Dre. He's incredible. Um, and he he's just kind of known more for his, He's known a little bit more for his solo career, I yeah, think. And um, starting the careers of countless right. uh, people and influencing so many people. Right. Um, um, but Corey Hawkins was terrific. Yeah. I, I loved his performance. Um, just great. Yeah. He, uh, that, you know, you, you could almost, if you, if you were to pick apart this movie, you could almost like say that an entire movie could have been made just from Easy and Ice Cube's rift in NWA yeah, and how yeah. that how that played out, and then have a completely separate movie that details Dr. Dre's uh, outing to um, 
or deal with Suge Knight and, and Death Row Records and then just the road to getting to, to where he starts Aftermath. Mm-hmm. Like that could have been its own movie. And maybe at times there were like a few there were a few moments where maybe it felt a little like okay, this is this movie's about NWA. Like we haven't talked to we haven't seen Dre in a while, so mm-hmm. let's let's show him uh uh, uh making making music with Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. But and so at times it kind of felt a little bit disjointed there, but I was still so into it mm-hmm. and so so invested in that character's story. Yeah. And uh and all, I mean it all kind of ties back to Easy and and Jerry um throughout the movie anyway, so yeah. it's not that that much, but um another high point for me and and I mean we can kind of wrap it up soon, but mm-hmm. um was the way that it <sighs> Probably the <laughs> there was a moment in the movie where I was almost not almost taken out of the movie, but I was so enthralled by it that I wanted to see a movie about it. Like like the way that the movie incorporates Rodney King and the L.A. riots, like mm-hmm. the way that the actual shots of the riots are are shot are filmed um, in kind of a slow motion, kind of just just showing not glamorizing, but just showing. Just showing the shining a light, yeah, shining a light on just yeah. how horrific it was. Mm-hmm. Like I want to, like I want F. Gary Gray to direct a movie about the L.A. riots. Oh, I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Like, oh my god, and yeah. like seeing how that tied into each character's, you know, motivations and their and their storylines and everything was really powerful. And it was a really w- great way to kind of um, dispel subtext or to to include subtext to to the motivations of the characters like there's a scene where easy is watching a couple scenes where easy is watching um news about Rodney king and everything and just like you can feel just how it affects him mm-hmm. and it's it's so great because that comes at a point where he's you know he's uh he's far out of compton <laughs> yeah he's doing pretty well for himself right and it's just it was it was so great um mm-hmm. yeah and yeah it kind of felt like all those all those guys, Dre, Easy, and and uh, Ice, Ice Cube, were like they were looking at the L.A. riots from a from a perspective of I have succeeded despite my shortcomings and or despite where I came from. What have I really done with it? I think right. you know, like what what positive influence have I played in this in this culture in this situation? Have I really done what I should have been doing? And mm-hmm. you know, have I gotten away from what I why I originally started doing this and you felt that all through subtext and it was not it it wasn't laid it wasn't laid out through expo- expositive dialogue it mm-hmm. was it was through expression and through physical acting and yeah. I, I and and quality writing as well um mm-hmm. just everything i i really appreciated those scenes as well yeah and uh, and and jason mitchell's reaction to to certain sequences is just like it you just feel like almost a almost like this is this was all for nothing kind of kind of feeling and it's it just resonated really well with me mm-hmm. there so so yeah so i mean is there anything else we need to talk about with straight out compton or should we wrap up our uh, review of it i think we can wrap it up put a bow on it okay all right well yeah that's that's our do we want to get into spoilers at all i don't think so i don't think and, we need to really I don't, I don't think so either i think that um, the way that um I mean, with a with a biopic anyway, it's kind of hard to avoid spoilers because I mean everything's people, so publicized yeah, already. Everything's so publicized and everything. So, uh, but for those who don't know the story of NWA and 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 uh, things, I will say that the that the kind of emotional climax of it 
was handled really, really well. Yes. And uh, and I, <laughs> and this is more just back to back to me and and my uh, not upbringing, but my my uh, reaction to seeing things that I recognize from you know my teen years but uh i completely forgot about bone thugs and harmony and yeah. bone thugs and harmony having a uh, uh such a strong connection to easy me too yeah like I, yeah. I was like oh oh my okay yeah that's right that's right that song was okay mm-hmm. yeah uh so anyway so that that's basically our review of straight out of compton um yeah. I love the movie. I'll be surprised if it's not in my top five at the end of the year. Um, and just, just this, maybe, the, maybe this is knee jerk, but initially I'd give it like a nine point five out of ten, pending a rewatch. Um, and I think, again, knee jerk. I, I think I'd like to see Jason Mil- Mitchell nominated for an Oscar, mm-hmm. and definitely the writers, possibly F. Gary Gray as well. I'd like to see some awards in their future. Um, it's a little early for that, but I. I'm I'm thinking I'll feel the same way at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, this will probably be pretty high up. I, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I loved it. Highly recommend it. And uh, we may be talking about it around you know Oscar time, end of the year kind of definitely time. So definitely yeah. go out and check it out. Uh, it's really good. Yep. Did you download any music after uh, seeing it? Um, I had I had had the Straight Outta Compton album already, uh, and I, I hadn't listened to it in such a long time though. But yeah, I started listening to it again. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten a chance to yet, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I no longer have that CD that I bought. Uh, yeah. What CD? Straight Outta Compton. Oh, you had it. Yeah, oh, I said okay. it earlier in the episode. Oh, I didn't. Wow, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Huh. So that's our review of Straight Outta Compton. We're going to go to our potpourri section, but before we do that, I'm going to throw us to the uh, Sharktober Irvington preview. Join the Obsessive Viewer podcast on October 16th, 2015 at the Irving Theater in Indianapolis for The Obsessive Viewer presents Sharktober in Irvington Part 2. It's a one-night event screening of short horror films from local artists J.P. Leck and Snapshot Productions. There will be giveaways, raffles, interviews with the filmmakers, and so much more. All proceeds will go directly to the Irvington Historical Society. Go to shocktoberinirvington.com for more details and prepare to be shocked. So now with the uh, review of Straight Outta Compton behind us, uh, we're going to do Potpourri, which if this is your first time listening, Potpourri is the section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want, as long as it smells good. Basically anything that we watched, uh, are looking forward to watching, um, any any uh, thoughts on the industry as a whole, anything like that. So, uh, Tiny, how much do you have for Potpourri, by the way? Uh, I've just got one thing I want to bring up, really. Okay. Um, in that case, I'll kind of double up on potpourri then, and uh, talk about. I'll, I'll talk about two things and kind of sandwich yours in between it. Is okay. that cool? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So usually, what I what I like to do with uh, these potpourri sections, where it's just two of us, is I like to kind of go format by format for stuff that I've watched, but I don't have my list uh, properly updated. But I will say that I uh, recently saw I saw an advanced screening of the movie No Escape. With uh, uh, Owen Wilson and Lake Bell as a married couple with two young daughters, oh, yeah. yeah, two young daughters who move to a, uh, I think it's, I think it's an un, it's a, it's an undisclosed Asian country. Oh, okay. Um, 
for 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 business because Owen Wilson's uh, career brought them there. And uh, when they get there, uh, there's a revolt, and uh, the whole movie is them trying to get away from, uh, you know, trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you've seen the trailers, you know that's a very it's it's an action thriller. And uh, man, this this movie really worked for me. Really? Yeah, I uh, I wrote a review of it. I'll I'll probably post it um, soon, if not already. Check out obsessiveviewer.com in the show notes of this episode. But um, I rated it like seven out of ten. Hmm. It was uh, it was so thrilling, and it was it was really satisfying to see a movie have an everyman character. Because I mean, Owen Wilson isn't an action star by any stretch, right? And seeing it, like the whole movie is from from their perspective and and he's kind of just this this kind of you know everyman character who is just you know trying to protect his family and the growth of that character throughout the movie it's it doesn't transform him into some just alpha male protector instinct instinct driven person like an action star or anything like he's a very human character and i mean he he does some very clever things to get to get uh to to uh to avoid certain situations but it was really refreshing to see a level of such i mean the action in the movie is is kind of almost almost a little bit over not i wouldn't say over the top but i mean it's just like they go from several different scenarios where it's it's like when is it going to end for them right and it can kind of get a little daunting but seeing it grounded in such a relatable character and such a relatable on both a fear level and uh in a protection level um was just so so gripping like it, it sustained its tension very well um so i really enjoyed that aspect of it uh it kind of it kind of it kind of had some blemishes here and there like uh there's uh <laughs> pierce brosnan's in it as a kind of a seasoned traveler who kind of helps them uh escape certain situations or or, or all that but throughout the throughout the movie they kind of run into him and by the second act you kind of get an you get an idea that an idea that he's not exactly like he's not just a traveler and there's a there's a middle section of the of the movie where um it kind of it doesn't drag per se but it it definitely almost pushes the movie into a different subgenre of the thriller genre hmm. um but it, it doesn't detract too much from it and it's brief enough that it's that it, it goes right back to go back goes right back to where we were before but it was noticeable it was a noticeable uh um uh hiccup i guess in the story but um i will say and this will be my final thought and i'll throw it to you for Popery tiny but mm-hmm. um <laughs> i was at i was at a screening for it and I I noticed before I noticed before the lights went down that like there was a there was a family <laughs> that <laughs> came in with young children yeah and uh, they sat kind of toward the front row and then uh, there was a moment in the movie after if you've seen the trailer you've seen that there's there's some pretty uh, heavy stuff that that goes on throughout the movie yeah and there I mean there's some there's some really gripping set pieces but there's also a few just uh, like really really intense moments um both as both from a um a character perspective and from just a action perspective mm-hmm. um and like i can't i, I i'm i don't want to i'm not overselling it like it's it was a very tense movie and it was something that just was really gripping but there was a moment toward the end of the movie where it's basically like the the climax of the tension of the movie where this family got up and walked out wow <laughs> and 
with good reason too, because it, it, I mean, it was, it was so, it was disturbing, and it was just really unnerving, mm-hmm. is, is what I, what I could say. Like I was so gripped by it that the, the person I saw it with, I kind of pointed and was like, "They're leaving." It's <laughs> like, yeah, that's they shouldn't have come here in the first place. But <laughs> so it was, it was. I recommend it. Definitely check it out. Uh, no escape. It's, it was, it was a really, it was a really tense experience, and I, I really enjoyed it. Wow, I. Uh, <laughs> You saying "Wow" reminds me of the Owen Wilson "Wow" compliment. Have you seen wow. that? Oh, wow! Wow! Oh wow! Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Claire's mom made me touch her hooters. <laughs> <laughs> I I am not excited for that movie at all. Oh uh, really? I, I wasn't anyways until until your your review, but it just looks so generic to me. And and that, and that is, yeah. And I forgot to mention that the, there is some some bit of gen, uh, genericness to it. Like I yeah. I kind of honed in on the on the human aspect of it and, and the characterization of of the family and how it's the family's point of view. But it's not without its its problems. It's it's not an it's not an eight or nine out of ten or a ten out of ten. It's a, it's a seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. It, because there's a. What, probably my biggest gripe about it is that there's there's a there's a series of like things that seem as if they're setting up for something, and then there's there's no there's no payoff to any of them. Oh wow! Yeah, like there's a uh, there's a there's an emphasis early on in the movie that shows why like like it like it's it's shown why uh, Owen Wilson's career brought him there, and and there's a bit mm-hmm. of dialogue between him and Pierce Brosnan that explains what he does. For the company that he works for, mm-hmm. and then there's there's a scene that shows how these uh, how these how these revol- revolutionaries or, or or militants, whatever you want to call them, um, their like their their motivations are somewhat tied to what he's what his company is in in the country for. It, it, but there isn't it isn't well defined. It isn't it's not defined well at all. Like you kind of get the impression like. There's a there's a bit of a conceit in the plot where your uh where 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 uh Owen Wilson's family is our is our vessel to what's going on and, and so so they don't speak the language so no one knows what the hell is going on mm-hmm. and there's a bit of uh, ambiguity to their motivations which which is fine cuz they are our uh they're our entry point into the story and that makes it a more gripping story and everything but it's at the it's uh it's at the cost of of making these radicals that that are overthrowing their government like you're not clear exactly why they're doing it you you don't really have much much uh, development to their motivation so whenever they run into run into the to the to the antagonists of the movie it kind of seems like a almost rote action set piece like if it was a if it was like an action movie it was it was all henchmen, and there was no there was no figurehead or no main oh, okay. reason for it. It made it made for kind of hollow, um, hollow antagonists, but mm-hmm. um, it made up for it by the by the thrilling relatability of the characters that we followed throughout the movie. Okay, yeah, cool, yeah. So I I still say check it out, but I mean, don't think that I'm selling it as the best movie of the year. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's no straight out of Compton. <laughs> okay, it's Interstellar. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Which well, I also rated seven out of ten. Go ahead, sorry. What I have for Popery is uh, something I'm actually looking forward to. Oh, nice. But because I, I just keep talking about stuff that I've seen, which there's, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. But um, it's funny because it's already out, um, but I just haven't watched it yet. 
Um, I'm really excited for uh, HBO's miniseries that they do every August, uh, Hard Knocks, where they they follow an NFL team uh, all through training camp. Um, It is such quality television. I mean, it's it's so fun to watch, and it's uh, it's exciting. Um, it's, it's thrilling. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking. Um, it's, it, it is so hard to watch these men give every single inch of the, what they have to becoming a professional athlete. And then just because of any, any particular reason they're cut from a team just like that at the snap of a finger. Um, it's, it's just heartbreaking to watch. Um, <laughs> But it's also incredibly compelling, and it's you know it's a kind of it's a, it's a guessing game throughout. It's who's going to make it, who's not, who's important, who isn't, um, and, and just just to see how what kind of lifestyle you you have to lead as a professional athlete is really an incredible thing to watch. Um, we we kind of we obviously glorify athletes in this country, and 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 they're they're paid. Many people would say that they're paid so well, and many people would say they're incredibly overpaid Mm -hmm. um but but for me when i when i watch this documentary every year it it makes me think that they're not overpaid um you know because the people who are who are making tens of millions of dollars are only a select few in the league there's so many that only make three hundred thousand four hundred thousand dollars a year which is a lot of money but you got to think they work six days a week and they travel every week um, at least for 18 weeks out of the year. But I mean, it's just, it's just what they have to give to, to a team and what they have to give to these franchises is really, really remarkable. It's, I, I could not do it. If, even if I was skilled in the way they are, I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't live that lifestyle. Um, and, and this, this documentary series presents that really well every single year. Um, so, it depicts. It depicts. Does it follow like a specific team or a specific follows a, one team every year? Okay, who's yep. the team this year? Uh, this year it is the Houston Texans. Oh, which I am excited for because uh, Arian Foster is a running back on that on that uh, team, and he's the first, pretty much the first major athlete that's come out as like an agnostic atheist kind of person, oh, wow. and he's being used by uh, not used, but he's <laughs> he's uh, working with uh, the the not-for-profit organization and the 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 program uh, is openly secular mm-hmm. um he's working with them and he's kind of becoming a voice for that community of which i'm a member um so i'm excited to see if they if they address that in the uh in the series um yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it it's it's just it's only six episodes mm-hmm. um it follows them through all their preseason games and all that stuff uh it's it's really good television, and of course it's done by HBO, who right. does everything amazingly well. Right, pretty much. Uh, True Blood. So, well, they... you know what I mean, Maddie. <laughs> I got you, I got you. But um, Aaron Foster, he wasn't one of the guys from uh, the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Rises, was he? What? In the Dark Knight Rises, they well, I mean, they had a uh, 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 Steelers. Oh no, 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 okay. no, he wasn't. Okay, um, I can't remember the guy that that. Caught the ball in the kickoff. Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward. There you go. He's a receiver for the Steelers. There Was a receiver for the Steelers. Oh okay, well, yeah. Well, now he's not because Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, he, he um, died. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> alert, but anyway, um, uh, that's really interesting. And also check out Tiny Side Project podcast, the secular perspective. Yep. A few episodes will be coming out here here shortly. 
Nice. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and round us out for Potpourri uh, in the episode. But um, I want to mention that I, I mentioned in a previous episode that I've been watching Seinfeld on Hulu Plus. And uh, last night while editing um, uh, the, one of the previous episodes to this episode, I, I don't know when I'm releasing this, uh, the episode, that the special episode of the podcast featuring Kate Chaplin from Kate's Take, which also, it was really awesome to get to chat with her. And then I will also have an episode with the writer and director of Ask Me Anything uh, going up uh, before this episode. So awesome. um, that was, the, both of those interviews were really, really fun. And uh, hopefully we can do more stuff like that in the future. Cool. But anyway, uh, as I was editing the podcast last night, I was watching in the background Back to the Future. And then today I, I went to the gym after work and I watched a couple episodes of Seinfeld, uh, which is <laughs> never a good idea when you're <laughs> in an environment where people, you know, could see you. And because uh, <laughs> I, I just was laughing at a lot of stuff. I was just a crazy dude on on the elliptical laughing but <laughs> anyway uh i i kind of noticed like i've i've had some some trouble and i've talked about this before kind of getting into seinfeld and getting into the kind of brand of humor of it but after seeing uh back to the future and seeing a couple like premium level episodes of seinfeld i really really appreciated the amount of setups and payoffs in in the in the writing of Seinfeld and hmm. and the way that I connect that to Back to the Future is that Back to the Future is one of the most tightly written uh, movies in dealing out setups and payoffs. Like there's, I think there's a whole there's a whole special feature on the Blu-ray set of Back to the Future that basically has a screen pop-up screen that illustrates all the setups and and payoffs in in the movie. And it's, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous uh, the level of uh, cohesiveness in, in that in that aspect of the of the script it is but i see that a lot in seinfeld like today i watched a a few episodes actually and there was one that like i think uh they're kind of all bleeding together but um yeah okay i'll talk about um i don't remember the title of the episode but uh it's the one where elaine has wears the hat she wears she goes to a yankee game with uh george and uh, kramer and she's wearing a Baltimore Orioles hat. Mm-hmm. And the whole setup is that she is that Jerry's girlfriend gave them the tickets because Jerry couldn't go and she didn't want to go. So they go to this to like premium like owner's box seats at a Yankees game uh, that were given to them from uh, Jerry's girlfriend who got them from her father. And the whole the whole premise of the episode is that um, Elaine told her boss that she was going to Maryland to visit her sick dad. <laughs> and so so there's an altercation when 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 people start um when when uh the girlfriend's Jerry's girlfriend's dad uh tries to force her to take her hat off. <laughs> and it it lands in the paper and then like there's the way that it connects later on and it's uh like like she she gave the excuse about her about her sick dad as an excuse to get out of going to her boss's uh, her boss's son's bris, and uh, and like the in the latter half of the episode, um, he's he learns from his uh, from like his lawyer who is the father of Jerry's girlfriend mm-hmm. that there like he he just hears about an anecdotal story about this crazy girl at the Yankees game that wouldn't take off the Orioles hat, and then like this is spoiling the episode, but. Um, 
the end of it is that uh, the boss tells Elaine like she like he doesn't think much of much of it. He totally buys into her story and everything. And he's just like, hey, yeah, you're from Maryland, aren't you? And then uh, <laughs> she's like, yeah, yeah. And she's all freaking out. And then he's <laughs> he's like, well, uh uh, uh, my my accountant or lawyer or whoever it was I think it was accountant um just gave me tickets to tickets to the Yankees game. You <laughs> should come since you didn't go to the Briss, and you should bring you should wear that hat that you have in your office because it would be hilarious. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. Just that level of detail and and, yeah. and intricacy to this little twenty two minute episode is it was is just so satisfying to me. Yeah, and uh, seeing all of that play out and that happens just so many so much in the in the show so far. Yeah, I just finished season three and I'm really looking forward to season four because that's when uh, I, I believe that that's when a lot of the <laughs> kind of meta humor of Jerry and George developing a pilot for NBC comes into play. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Cause this is my first time watching the series. Yeah. Um, yeah. So have you watched any Seinfeld? One of these days I'm going to watch the show. I, I, I've seen so many just random episodes, but I've never really dove into the show very much. And one of these days I'm going to nice, nice. Yeah. I, I recommend it. And I know Mike really recommends it too. Yeah. Um, our as co-host. does America. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Mike is our co-host who is on sabbatical in the podcast. Yep. So I think that about does it for the episode. I think it does. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for listening, guys, and we'll throw it to the pre-record outro. And uh, yeah, anything else you want to throw in? Nope. Nope. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. So yeah, that's cool, and I'll. I'll uh, I do want to say that most people in this country glorify athletes. Yeah, I, most people. I don't really. Oh, yeah. And I also wanted to say, and this is such a dumb joke. This is so dumb. Um, yeah, this morning I woke up early and I was really, really, I was really tired. So, and, uh, and I, I was talking to a friend on Facebook who was a night owl and I was like, Hey, do you think that you are, you know how, um, like professional athletes, like, like basketball players, like in the NBA, they might go to like, a a park and and play play a game of pickup basketball, you know, to just to kind of blow off steam or something like that, you know. Yeah. Do you ever think that race car drivers f- get that feeling whenever they go to like the grocery store or to uh, <laughs> or to drop their kids off at school? <laughs> yes. Oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gosh, who is? It? I think it's maybe it was Marco Andretti. Mm-hmm. Somebody, a, a famous race car driver has like doesn't have a driver's license oh wow because he's gotten so many tickets and so many gotten in so much trouble for like having a super nice car that he drives like 150 miles an hour down the highway wherever he's mm-hmm. from and he's gotten in so much trouble he like doesn't have a driver's license jeez yeah so I, uh could be yeah. you're joking but it happens it Matt. <laughs> it's not funny this will probably all be in the tag but um, <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> anyways yeah so uh, <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt 
tiny or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.